Good morning. Hope you're doing well. We're in Daniel chapter 10. So you can go ahead and open to Daniel chapter 10. I'm going to give a little bit of an intro first before we do the reading because it's a different kind of uh, type of text. And so I just want to make sure we know what we're reading whenever we read. Um, While you're flipping, I want to tell all of you happy Mother's Day who are mothers or prospective mothers or one day mothers. Happy Mother's Day. We love you. We appreciate everything you do. Um, but let's, uh, let's talk about Daniel 10, and then we're going to read it. So Daniel 10, 11, and 12 is all one big vision. Uh, and so um, you should take chapter 10, 11, and 12 as one large set of verses uh, and one story. And what we're doing over the next three weeks is breaking them up into three different weeks. And so... Uh, as they're all one, one sermon, or really one big, big story, uh, the, the big E on the I chart that everybody should remember, even though we can ha- kind of have different views when you get lower, the big E on the I chart is this, is one day, as we've seen in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, one day Jesus is going to come destroy all the kingdoms of the earth and set up his kingdom, and we can all agree that he will prevail one day. Uh, and so... However you see the little letters on the eye chart depends on your vision on whether you're pre-mill or ah-mill or post-mill or, or all that kind of stuff. All that stuff is uh, not really the big picture. The big picture of 10 through 12 is Jesus is one day going to come, which we've seen over, and destroy all the other kingdoms of the earth, sweep them away, and set up his kingdom forever. Now, uh, the way that 10 through 12 is broken down is, is, is pretty interesting. So chapter 10, what we're looking at today, is just the intro. Uh, and then chapter 11 is where he actually gives the vision. And it's pretty complicated. And it has a lot more detail with the Persian Empire, Greek Empire. Uh, and there's some more to it. Chapter 12 is where he kind of gives the final conclusions. And so, which means the vision starts in 11. So all of chapter 10 that we're going to look at today is what's happening as he's receiving the vision and how Daniel feels, the spiritual battle that's going on, give the vision in Daniel chapter 11. And so as we read chapter 10, uh, we just want to realize that he's gathering together this vision, uh, but he's not really talking about the vision so much as everything that he thinks about, everything that he's seeing and how he feels and what it's like uh, understanding the vision because he's also realizing whenever these angels are talking to him, uh, that there's unseen spiritual battles going on. So chapter 10 is a unique chapter. Can you make it a little bit brighter in here? Uh, I got to be able to read. All right, so chapter 10 is a, is a unique chapter uh, in that it's going to talk a lot about the unseen realm. And that's why I have battle from behind the scenes. Get it? All right. I thought it was punny. All right, so if you're able to stand with me, let's look at chapter 10 and read it. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we will pray. So... In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, 
His face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of the multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand up, right? For now I have been sent to you and... When he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and I spoke and said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is in me. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened, and I said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I return to fight against the kings of Persia. When I go out, and behold, the king of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is one who contends by my side against these, except Michael There is none, I'm sorry, there's none who contends by my side except these, Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. I included 11-1 on purpose. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would come now and help us as we look at this pretty complicated text uh, and help us see and understand that there are so many things going on behind the scenes in the unseen realm, in the heavenly places, spiritual battles going on, and that uh, because of this, we would would be encouraged, not scared, but, but we would know that you, God, are fighting our battles, sending out your angels to fight those things, and that you have actually, because of this, um, ask us to join along in it in a unique way through prayer. And so I pray that um, you would help us see the massive benefit there is to prayer and that um, you would help us <laughs> more than anything see Christ in this text so that we can understand the goodness of the gospel afresh this week and be strengthened by the gospel. We pray this in Jesus. Any of the vision yet, he just talked about his interaction with the angel and what the interaction of the angel did. Looking at the introduction in chapter 10, um, as I said, the vision's more next week in 11, and then even the final conclusions uh, of kind of the eschaton to be is in chapter 12. Um, today, what we're looking at is just what's going on uh, in chapter 10 as he's receiving these things. And we should ask ourselves this pretty often. The Holy Spirit inspired Daniel in chapter 10 to write a whole chapter on 
what he was thinking and what it was like and what, what are some of the things he experienced as he was receiving the vision. Why go to all that trouble? Why not just say, I fell down, I got up, I got, and I was okay. He goes into a lot of detail, right? A whole chapter's worth. And so there's reasons to think about since the Holy Spirit inspired Daniel to do this. Okay, there's something that we can get from this. And so uh, before, we, before we do that, I want to, um, before we look at the introduction of the vision and how receiving the vision affected Daniel, because he's just going to tell us the vision next week. He's just talking about how receiving the vision affected him. I want to read this. Uh, this is from the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And this verse will be a good verse to kind of give us a big understanding of what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, and so that you can um, understand that there's a whole lot of things going on that we're unaware of. All right. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I'm going to read it one more time. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And the primary way in which we Christians interact in this kind of spiritual battle that's going on, the primary way, because it's unseen, is through prayer. That's the primary way. So, uh, let's jump in and we're going to get a good idea of what's going on here. There's, there's really four lessons I want us to see at, at, from this text uh, to help us kind of understand the unseen uh, and h- how we can interact and what, what are the applications we can draw from this. So if you look at verse 1, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, this is right around 535 B.C. Daniel's in his 80s. This is two years after the great vision that we saw in, in Daniel 9 when we talked about the 70 weeks. So we're, we're two years later. Uh, and as he's two, two years later, uh, this is probably around the same time of the lion's den. We don't know if this is directly before, directly after the lion's den. Um, but uh, something happened in Cyrus's reign. We says in the third year of of Cyrus, king of Persia. Well, something significant happened in the first year of King Cyrus. Namely, Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 tells us, in the first year of Cyrus, prince of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and he put it in writing. So two years prior to this verse, King Cyrus did this. Thus, Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord of God in heaven is maybe... uh, given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me king cyrus this is interesting to build him that's god a house in jerusalem which is in judah whoever's among you all of his people may may his god be with them and let him go to jerusalem which is in judah and rebuild the house of the lord the god of israel so this is cyrus saying you guys who are with me you can go home and i'm going to help you build a house for the lord cyrus a pagan is doing this and let each survivor and whatever he place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold with goods and beasts besides free will offerings for the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem. So King Cyrus has done that in, in year one of his reign where in year three of his reign and so Cyrus had allowed some of Israel to go it's two years later now Cyrus had allowed them to go home the prophet Jeremiah prophesied about this in Jeremiah chapter 25 through 29 we knew that Daniel had read it when he knew it was going to happen and they were going to go be able to go back and start rebuilding uh, but not all had gone back to rebuild. Some were still with Daniel. Um, 
Daniel probably didn't go back because he was too old to travel, perhaps, because um, you're, you're talking from uh, Baghdad to Jerusalem, which is pretty, pretty di- far distance. Um, and so uh, Daniel probably didn't go back because of that, but also he was an important man in Babylon, and maybe he thought that he could do more good for Israel by staying and continually trying to send them back. Uh, but one of the things that he wanted to do is be a key man of prayer. Uh, why would I say that he wants to be a key man of prayer? Because it says, in the third year of King Cyrus, a word was revealed to Daniel. We see that. A word was revealed to Daniel. And this word that was revealed to him, who's also Belshazzar, was true. It was a, uh, and it was a great God gave Daniel another word here, a true one. And the content of the word was about this great conflict. More on that later, of course. And Daniel understood this. But why do I say prayer? Because if you look at verse 12, it tells us that when the word was revealed to him, exactly what Daniel was doing. If you look in verse 12, it says, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God. Here it is. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, this is an angel coming. I think it's in an angel. We'll get into that in a second. But the angel comes to him and says, I came to you because I heard you praying. Because you were praying, I decided to come and help you understand. Because Daniel is like, I understand some things. You give me the seven weeks. I have more questions. Like two weeks, two years later, I, I want to know some more. And so in, in 11, we'll get the understanding of what's told to him uh, next week. But what we know is Daniel was stirred to pray here. And he's praying also because uh, he wants to, the people of God to obey God. And so it's, it says in verse 2, if you go back, in verse 2, uh, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So we, here we have Daniel uh, knowing that two years ago, Israel could go back and, and start rebuilding. We know that the rebuilding after these two years had stalled. Daniel had probably heard about this, and so he wanted to pray, and he wanted to have understanding, but he also wanted his people to go back after two years of being sent back. Ezra and Nehemiah tell us that the rebuilding efforts had stalled. So the people of Israel were supposed to go back and start rebuilding. Daniel heard about this, and they weren't. They weren't doing what God had asked them to do. And as the reports had come to Daniel, and he knew that the people of God weren't obeying what God had asked them to do, all that he could think to do is, I need to pray. What I need to do is I need to go to the Lord and pray. God's demonstrated, as Daniel has demonstrated to us throughout the entire book of Daniel, that he is a man of prayer. And whenever he just, there's nothing I can do besides go to the Lord and pray. God's people are supposed to obey. They're not obeying. And since they're not obeying, there's nothing I can do to get them obey besides pray. Lesson number one. There is big. I know it's long. These, these lessons are kind of long, but you know, I'm sorry. Uh, when the people of God are disobedient, faithful men and women should seek God in prayer, fasting and mourning, asking for them to obey what God asks. So if there's people you know that are disobeying God, one of the best things that you can do is go to the Lord and pray and say, Lord, obey. This is what Daniel's doing on behalf of Israel. Two years have gone by, the rebuilding has stalled, and it was really, it was really frustrating. I mean, he wanted them to, to go and do what God had asked. And so Daniel believed that this, Sinclair Ferguson said, Daniel believed that the restoration and the rebuilding effort would not fail if Daniel could pray the work of God through these days of crisis. Um, with great self-discipline and, and clear discernment of the needs, he devoted himself to seeking the blessing of God of heaven. And he did it with mourning and praying and fasting. 
I say fasting because it says in Daniel chapter 3, it says, I ate no delicacies, meat or wine entered my mouth. Uh, some commentators say that means he just ate bread and water. Maybe. But the principle is he still fasted from delicacies. Like he still fasted. He, he postured his heart towards Lord. I'm not going to have... Um, steak and wine because those things are awesome. I'm just going to eat the, the regular bread and water because I want you to move. And so Daniel fasted. Da- Daniel mourned. He didn't anoint himself, so he neglected the skin care of the day. And he prayed for around three straight weeks. And we'll talk about the three straight weeks in a minute. He prayed for three straight weeks and fasted and prayed and mourned for three straight weeks because he was broken about the news of Israel returning to the promised land and their rebuilding efforts being stalled. Daniel was broken that God's people weren't doing what God had asked them to do. And in his brokenness, he prayed. That's what he did for him. And so sometimes the best thing we can do is... Not talk to God's people about God, but instead to talk to God about his people. Sometimes that's all we can do. Not talk to God's people about God and try to convince them to change, but instead talk to God about his people. Sometimes that's all we can do. And notice, Daniel does talk to God. Maybe he talks to the people. The text certainly doesn't tell us he does. But we do know that he prays. So here's how we can apply this for us. Remedy Church, God has asked us to do a lot of things. A lot of things. The Great Commission, be salt and light in this world, fight our own sin, care for the needs of the church, etc., 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 etc. God's asked us to do a lot of things. And some of us sometimes don't do those. What we need are the Daniels of the church to pray and weep and fast for Remedy Church to begin to obey God in these things. If there's people in our church that aren't doing those things, and maybe that's me too, right? Maybe that's me. The people that are doing those things, the best thing you can do, like Daniel, is go to the Lord and pray for all of us to join God's mission. You can't make people join God's mission, but you certainly probably can pray them into it. You certainly can probably pray them into it. New programs don't make these things that he's asked us usually happen. Faithful prayer is what causes these things to happen. Faithful prayer is what causes these things to happen, not programs. As Ian Bound says, the church is looking for better methods, but God's just looking for better men and women. For people are God's methods. Sinclair Ferguson, helping us understand this application, says, this illustrates the value of a knowledge of church history also, whether it be of the apostolic or post-apostolic church. Biblical Christians cannot canonize an individual or an age in the history of church, but we can be stirred to pray to be excited and stimulated in our witness service study and zeal by knowing what God has done in the bygone days. If we do not know of other days and experiences than just our own, we will be in danger of living short-sightedly in a short-sighted society, realizing how deficient we actually are. When we read of God's mighty works in the past, however, we're humbled, we're ashamed, but yet also excited to pray. And we say, Lord, you did it before and you did it then, do it again. So the people of God that are fired up about Jesus and fired up about prayer, roll up their sleeves, but then drop to their knees and pray, ready to do the work that God's asked them by starting with prayer and then go and share Jesus with a lost and dying world. If Israel here is not obeying, it broke Daniel. If the people of God today are not obeying God, is it breaking us? 
Is it bothering us like it bothers Daniel? It should. And the first thing that we should do is go to the Lord in prayer for our own heart and then for his people and pray, Lord, do a great work among us. We want to see it happen. That's the first lesson that we can see here. Now, that brings us to quite an interesting section. Um, verses 4 through 9. Uh, and I think, I'll just go ahead and tip my hand. We've already read it. I think that this is a Christophany. This is a sighting of Jesus in the Old Testament. I don't think the Christophany keeps going at verse 10. I think that's in a different person. There's commentators all over. I'll explain it, but we can look at it. In the 24th month of the first day, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, and then it says this, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold of euphaz around his waist, his body like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like the flaming torches, his arms like the legs of the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the, that of the multitude. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. The men with me didn't see it, but trembling fell upon them. They fled. They ran. So I was left alone with this great vision. No strength was in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. I had no strength. Then I heard the deep sound of his words. And notice his reaction here. As I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. That's a different reaction than when Gabriel came. He was feared. He feared when Gabriel came in, in chapter 9. But he doesn't fall on his face in a deep sleep. And so uh, we're starting to see uh, some parts of this vision that's being explained to us. We know this word was revealed. We know that he's on uh, the bank of the great river. So Daniel's still in the kingdom of Babylon. Uh, and he's near the, not in the capital city though. Uh, he's over on the Tigris River, which is maybe 20 miles away from the capital city, up to 100. He, probably not that far. Uh, but while he's out uh, a little bit away from the, there, he, he finds time to pray and he lifts up his eyes seeing this man Daniel. And he says, this man's clothed in linen. And so uh, he's called a man because he appears to be in a human form to him. And he says that he's wearing linen garments, which would be the normal garments of the priest. Uh, so keep that in mind. We have priest. He's also wearing fine gold of euphaz around his waist. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 9, is the only place in the Bible that mentions the gold of euphaz besides Daniel. Uh, and so in context, it's likely a place that had some of the finest gold that there is. And so he says it's like Jeremiah uh, 10 verse 9, that euphaz. The main point is uh, if he's wearing linen garments like the priest, the main point also is if he's wearing gold, suggesting king or judge. So we have priest, king. And this man comes who deliver, to deliver a word to him, much like a prophet would. And so we can understand that this man's appearing to him like a prophet, priest, king. Uh, that's one thing that makes me think, okay, this is a Christophany. And it says his body was like beryl, or it can be translated crystallite. It carries this visual sentiment of golden yellow colored, kind of glowing yellow heavenly being. His face is like lightning, is so brilliant. Like if you're in the dark and it lightens, the whole skies light up, his face is that bright. It's super, super bright face, right? And his eyes were like flaming torches. Again, highlighting brightness of nature. And his arms and legs are like gleaming burnished bronze. Uh, it literally means, it's literally here, bright arrayed arms and feet, not arms and legs, but arms and feet. And you put all this together and you have a very fiery appearance of a man in front of him that's probably very difficult to, to, to look at because he's so bright. And then he talks and his voice thunders towards him. So very, very, very deep. Now, 
if you've heard this, I've read it twice, kind of footnote that in your mind, everything we've read in Daniel, and let's relate this exact description that we see of, of this person in 5 and 6 to the same person that John sees in Revelation chapter 1, whenever we know that that's Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, starting verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. Remember, this was feet in Daniel. Refined like a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. His voice thundered. In his right hand he had seven stars, and his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Very bright face. And so, as I said, I've already tipped my hand. I think this is a Christophany that Daniel is seeing. Uh, very much like John, as John sees Daniel, Daniel's. And the, the responses, are, some, some disagree. Some say it's actually Gabriel right here in 5 through 9. I'm not sure that it is. I think it's Jesus. Um, but we can also see similar responses. Daniel, as it says, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. John, I was left alone with this great vision. Or Daniel says, I fell on my face feet though dead. He says, I fell on my face in a deep sleep. I fell as though dead. But then uh, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I'm the first and the last. And so what's clear is, is that this man in linen, this, this man that appears to him, evokes a response like Jesus evokes with John in chapter one. Not exactly like angels do, because angels can cause fear. There is fear uh, whenever Daniel appears or Gabriel appears to Daniel in chapter 8, but he doesn't cause him to have this deep sleep as though dead. That doesn't seem to be what angels do. And so um, the bigger question, I think, is why does Daniel tell us in chapters, in in verses 7 through 9, when he says, I saw the vision, nobody saw me, I was left alone with this great vision, all my strength left away from me, and I regained no strength, and I fell on my face. Why is he telling this? Why is the Holy Spirit leading him? He could have just said, I was, I was kind of scared, and I fell down, I got up, and it was over. Like, why does he go into this great detail? Why is the Holy Spirit wanting us to know these things about receiving the vision? Why give us all this and then have some similar kind of response from John some 600 years later? What's going on? I think there's a couple things that we can we can take when it comes to application. One is um, what our mindset should be about the men of God who receive revelation from the Lord. Um, the physical toll, and ang- one writer says, the physical toll and anguish of these men, these prophets who endured to receive s- such revelation from God and then write them down was just extraordinary. Something that should cause us to pause and think. Something that should cause us to have an immense gratitude towards these, first towards God, of course, for speaking to us, but even towards these men who chose to write down these things for us for our benefit. Sinclair Ferguson, the knowledge of God's work and grace in the past encourages us now, since we have it written down, to trust him and seek his uh, blessing in the present and the future. And so that these men endured these things and, and wrote these things for our uh, edification is something that should cause immense gratitude in us so that we can understand God to some degree and that we can give him blessing. The second thing that we can get from this is... Um, When we come face to face with the Lord, our posture of our our heart should be like Daniel and John. Um, It should remind us that we should have this kind of posture. I'm not saying that you should literally fall down face face to the floor every time you hear the name Jesus. That would be dangerous if you're driving. Um, But my point is, uh, there is a posture of the heart that we should maintain 
about Jesus and discernment on whenever we think about who, just how great this man is, that our heart should want to be bowed constantly to Jesus and have a, a reverence and awe about us that whenever we come face to face with our great Savior, which we should often, that we should have a posture like this, which brings us to number two. Oh, while the, when the people of God are apathetic to the presence of God, faithful men and women should remind them to have a daily appropriate posture of the heart before the Lord Jesus. If we're apathetic about the presence of God, we should pray and we should, we should want others to pray for us that our heart is continually bowed down before him. Psalm 139 says this, verse seven through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Meaning it's always with us, right? If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings on the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall uphold me. Now, these verses were not written for Westerners to just to, you know, make their kids feel bad. God always sees you. He's always with you. He knows everything you're doing. And so the kids fear like, oh man, God's always seeing me. These verses aren't written for us to be scared that God's always with us. These verses were written by David as a comfort to know our God is always with us. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can't get away from God's presence. That's I can't. Instead, this is, um, since God is always with me, I should have the appropriate reverent posture accordingly. That Jesus is always with me. Sinclair Ferguson says, such Christians that do not lose their taste, for, such Christians that do this uh, lose their taste, therefore, for everything that's trivial. They learn to live near God. They are never far from heaven because they know the gospel. And they are not distanced from heaven by the guilt of their sin because they know the gospel. Forgiven and cleansed, they have a presence about them. And it's the presence of God. I like that first line. Christians that live like this, who have their heart postured before the God, learn to lose their taste for all that's trivial. There's a lot of trivialities going on that we just find ourselves so engrossed in and then we lose sight of the presence of God. Whatever those trivialities are in your life that keep you from having a correct posture before the Lord, lose your taste for those things. Lose your taste for those things. You weren't made for those things. You were made for Jesus. And so let's live actually like we have an ever before in front of presence of God. That's the second thing. Now we move over to verse 10. And here we're uh, going to another section. And this is um, similar in the same vein of behind the scenes, but, but a, a different thing in, in 10 through 14. So, and behold, a hand touched me. Whose hand? Well, you would think it's got to be the same guy that was just in front of him, which I think was a Christophany. So you would think the hand touching him is Jesus. Uh, but I don't think that it's Jesus. But even though we're going straight on from verse to verse, I think that as he fell to the, to the ground, that the, an angel came in and started having a conversation with him, not Christ anymore. Now, I will explain why uh, here in just a second. I've explained why I think it's Jesus because it's so similar to Revelation and, and, and Daniel chapter 10. It could be that that's an angel in Daniel chapter 10, 5 through 6. Uh, it could be that that's an angel. I don't think it is because of his response and it's such a similar thing to Revelation. But when you get to verse 10, this interpreting angel, this 
I think it's interpreting this man that touches him. Uh, he says some things that make it sound like it's not like Jesus. And here's why. All right. So whose hand is it? I don't think this is a Christophany. Uh, it could be, but I don't think it is. But Daniel falls with his face uh, on the ground and the presence of Jesus caused him to do this. But I think that it could make me think this isn't necessarily Jesus anymore. Um, that he had sent someone else now to deliver this message. Whoever this is that's talking to him and, and touching him, we know that in verse 13, he tells us this. In verse 13, he says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. Daniel, I wanted to come to you really bad, but in coming to you, this prince of the kingdom of Persia kept me from coming to you for 21 whole days, but then... Finally, because Michael, the, the angel, one of the chief princes, came and helped me, I was able to leave and finally get to you. It doesn't sound like Jesus could be held up by a prince of Persia for 21 days. And it doesn't sound like Jesus that he needs Michael to come rescue him. If Jesus wants to do something, he can just do it. And so that's why I don't think, as when we get to verse 10, that this is Jesus anymore, that it's, that it's a... Uh, an angel. And so first we have Michael helping him and Jesus needs no one's help. He's so powerful. He doesn't need 21 days delay, much less 21 seconds delay. He can do whatever he wants at any time. Um, but also the, the contrast is in verses five through nine, Daniel isn't really able to stand in this person's presence. But as you read through 10 through 21, Daniel's ability to be in front of this person is, is different. Now, so I, I just find it that this probably, my conclusion is that it's not Jesus, that it's an angel. One commentator called him the interpreting angel because he's the one that interprets the vision that we'll see. So from henceforth, he will be interpreting angel. All right. So uh, he says that he, uh, the angel touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees, not falling on my face dead, but still sending on my hands and knees. And he said, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. This is something that he's told him in 923. He's going to tell him again. He told him to stand up, understand the words that I speak to you, stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And, and the sent to you language makes it seem like God sent him, so he's probably not a Christophany, but he's, but he's an angel. Uh, he says, I've been sent to you to, to tell you some, some stuff. And so um, after this, we have the interpreting angel. and says, then he said to me this, from the first day that your heart Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. From the beginning of those three weeks of fasting and praying and mourning that Daniel began, as he humbled himself, words, God sent word to Daniel, like, all right, I'm coming to you, and he sent it through the angel. And so what we can see here is this. In today's spiritual battles, like this, there's a battle going on behind the scenes that prevented this interpreting angel to get to Daniel, and it took some three weeks. But what we can know from this is this. Um, in today's spiritual battles all around us, the moment that we pray to the Lord God, God's at work. From the moment you prayed to me, Daniel, I was at work. Now, it took three weeks. I didn't come to you for three weeks. The angel didn't make it to you for three weeks. He was held up by this prince of the kingdom of Persia. But, um, but it was the moment you, that, you, that you prayed, God sent word. And so that three weeks of time, um, largely, I believe, was for Daniel's benefit. Daniel learned to trust in God as he fasted and prayed and mourned, waiting on the angel to come and give him the vision. Uh, but it was largely for his, his benefit. And so at the, that verse that I read back in Ephesians um, about 
there's unseen spiritual realities that we're, that we're unaware of, that we don't fight against necessarily flesh and blood, but uh, that we fight, uh, I think, through prayer, um, things unseen. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I'm going to read it to you. For we not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we wrestle with them largely with these demons that are trying to destroy us through prayer. Right after that, right after that is the uh, armor of God. And so he unpacks for us, the, Paul unpacks for us the armor of God. And at the very end of the armor of God, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then you have that. So I, he finishes with the one offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then the sentence keeps going as a participle. Uh, and it says praying. And so some argue that even if you keep going, that prayer is part of the armor of God. You can decide for yourself. Go read it and study it this week. I've heard many people make this argument, and I think it's good. Listen to what he says. Praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Keep going. So what we see here is that we should pray. God is at work when we're praying. Not just, God's not just in, in the person that's actually praying. From the moment you prayed, Daniel, I came. And then we see that there's this three-week thing of Daniel uh, fasting and praying. And so what we, what we see after this is where it gets amazingly interesting. All right, so we know that there's this three-week gap before this interpreting angel comes to him. And here's why. Verse 13 tells us, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, this is the Michael, like this is Michael, Archangel Michael, Jude 9, Archangel Michael, right? The, he's the one that oversees Israel. If you look at 1021, he tells us that he's the, he's the overseer of Israel or the prince. He says, Michael, the last, last words, Michael, your prince, that means Michael has a special job to oversee the people Israel. Only Michael, one of the chief princes, uh, came to help me, for I was left there with the king's, kings, notice the plural, of Persia. All right. So who's the king of Persia? Calvin says that it's just a guy. It's just a dude. It's just a man. Like he's actually one of the kings of Persia that was fighting. Um, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I don't think that's the case. Because what we do know is that this interpreting angel that was sent to Daniel, the moment he began to pray, was delayed for 21 reasons. Or, I'm sorry, 21, 21 days. And the king or this prince of the king of Persia held up an angel. Well, a man Holding up an angel is ludicrous. A man can't hold up an angel. That's not going to happen. And further, we know that Michael had to actually come help him and make it so that he could get to him. So it's not likely that this prince of the king of Persia is a man. But first, let's, let's just look at this. It says Michael had to come. Michael, uh, the name Michael means who is like our God. Uh, he's this archangel of Jude 9, and he fends off in some ways, this, this king of Persia for the interpreting angel so that he can get to Daniel and give him this word, which is this word, which we know it says it's about the, the latter days in verse 14. It tells us it's about the latter days. So that's what we're going to see in 11. He's finally going to give him the vision when we get to 11. Um, and Michael is the, the overseer of, of Israel as an angel. And so just to save time, um, I think that this, this king this prince of the kingdom of Persia is an evil angel, a, a, a demon. Not Satan himself, likely, although it could have been. Um, Satan's, he's confined to one space in one time. So usually, if you're in a spiritual battle, it's probably not the devil that's keeping you from it. It's probably one of his demons that's keeping you from it. The devil, you know, 
he's only in one space, and so he's probably taking care of the big fishes. I, I don't know. But one commentator made that point, and I thought it was a pretty good point. Like, usually we can't blame everything on the devil. It's probably some of his, his demons. And th- it could be that that's what's going on here. This prince of the kingdom of Persia is most likely an evil angel uh, or, or what would be a demon. And uh, this is because he has this, it has to be that because he has the power to hold up the interpreting angel for 21 days, which no human could ever dream to do. And the interpreting angel needs Michael to come help him. So this means that Persia, what's going on ultimately is we know that Babylon had failed and Persia is now in power. King Cyrus is in his third year. And so angels or evil angels or demons are sent now by the devil into this area of Persia because this is where the people of God were. And so what he's wanting to do in Persia is send evil angels, send demons to work behind the scenes causing the Persian empire to do evil things to hurt the people of God. That's what he's wanting. This prince of of Persia is just trying to hurt the people of God. How can I influence the kings of Persia and the people of Persia, these, these pagans, to hurt the people of God? If you just want to take a little side note, that keeps going. There's, in some ways, angels by the devil assigned to regions or kingdoms that when they're there, they know where the people of God are and they're trying to influence the people of God and hurt the people of God. Same for America. There's probably one, a demon over America trying to influence all of us to not follow the Lord as well. That's, that's what we can, one of the things we can at least draw from that. But the best question I think we can ask is, again, why is Daniel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reporting that someone... Uh, encountered us in 12 division. Why are these verses in the Bible? Why do these verses matter to the original readers? Why, do Israel, why does Israel need to hear that there's a battle going on for 21 days in the unseen spiritual realms before he could finally get to Daniel? Um, Daniel wants Israel to know that there are unseen spiritual conflicts going on that we're unaware of. And so he wants us to know that there are unseen spiritual conflicts going on that we're unaware of. Abraham Kuyper once wrote this. If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle ever wrought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but up there, that is where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. Meaning, massive things are going on in the unseen realm. And we're part of it, largely through prayer. That's why I read Ephesians chapter 6. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood primarily, but instead against the rulers and against the authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Daniel is learning right here what Paul will write about some 550 years later. The ultimate power struggles are not necessarily fought here on earth, but they're fought in the realm that we don't see and we know nothing about. The major battles are not fought in Washington, D.C. or even in the Middle East. They're happening in the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And Christians are inevitably, we're inevitably part of this conflict. We are part of it even though we can't see it. And that way is through prayer. So when the people of God come to understand that there are unseen spiritual battles going on that they're unaware of, they must resolve to pray and put on the armor of God daily and be ready for this battle through prayer. There is a battle going on every day. We can... We could pursue trivialities and act like it's not happening and just, you know, live a nice little easy life. But that's not what's going on in reality for us. And we are inevitably a part of it. 
And therefore, we should not um, just mosey through life in neutral or sit on the sidelines. Instead, join in this through prayer. Daniel is such a great man of God and such a great prayer that he gets his own angels to come care for him and deliver messages to him from God. So where does this leave us then? You know, the regular people, not the, the non-Daniels. Well, a couple points of application. One, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 regarding angels says, are they, are there not, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve uh, for the sake of those who inherit salvation? Trying to discern all that that's saying in Hebrews 1.14 can be difficult. But yes, there are ministering spirits sent out to serve Christians in some way. If you're a Christian, that's true of you. Hebrews 1.14 is, is true. Somehow and in some way. I don't know exactly what all that means. Because in Hebrews chapter 1, it's comparing Jesus to the angels and how much better Jesus is than the angels. And he just says, he just makes this comment that the angels do that. So it's not the main point of the text. The main point of the text of Hebrews 1 is, Jesus is better than everything. But it makes this comment though. Nevertheless, there are ministering spirits sent out to serve the sake of those who are inherit salvation. But the bigger point is not to overlook this and try to understand it. Even though we don't understand exactly what that means. It does mean this. God cares about you. God is looking over you. God is always difficult in the weeds, but he is. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this. Because Jesus died for his people, us, the regular people, right? Um, We're very important to Jesus. We're very important to Jesus. And so since we're never alone, God has given this massive gift of this thing called prayer to us. So let's use it. Let's use prayer. And if his answer in prayer delays, like it did for Daniel, three weeks, realize there's blessing in that. There's blessing in the delay. Daniel got to have three whole weeks of um, participating in the spiritual disciplines of fasting and prayer. If God had come right away, Daniel would have missed out on the benefit and blessing of the spiritual disciplines of three weeks of fasting and prayer and mourning. And so it's a blessing if the answers don't come right away. It should cause you to persevere and not say, well, it didn't happen. I give up. The delay was in order to perform a work uh, in Daniel's spiritual life. I believe that that's why there was a delay. Sure, there were unthings happening and Daniel didn't realize it. But what Daniel saw was it's not happening. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to keep fasting. I'm going to keep mourning. And I'm going to keep praying. And that's probably the same true for us. So this week, spend some time in Ephesians 6, knowing the armor of God, putting on the armor of God, per se, and spending time in prayer. That's number three. Then we get to number four. Uh, Number four lesson, last lesson. Starting at verse 15. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. So uh, Daniel He speaks to him in some way. We don't know what he says because we know the vision is told to us. After all this is over, he's going to tell him, now you're ready for the vision. So he's going to strengthen him in some way. But Daniel is, he speaks to him in some way. And these these words that he spoke to him, whatever it was, Daniel tells us that hearing that, whatever he says, causes at least four things to happen to Daniel. The first one is it renders him speechless. It says that in verse 15, he's mute. This is fixed, though, by, by the interpreting angel touching his lips, like Jeremiah 1.9. Touched his lips, now you can talk. 
It also causes physical pain to him. It says that in 16b. Pain, Daniel reports, pains have actually come upon me. It causes him to lose his strength. No strength remains in me in verse 17. And it causes him to literally lose his breath. I, there's no breath in me. So just this word that said to him causes him to be mute, have physical pain, to lose his strength, and to lose his breath. And so he's, he's in pretty poor condition here when he says in verse 15, um, he has spoken to me according to these words. I turned my face to the ground and I was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips so I could speak. And then I opened my mouth and I said, who stood before me, my Lord. That's, that's lowercase l. That's just Adonai. It's not Yahweh. It's probably just, you know, like you'd say, sir. That's why another reason why I think it's an angel. But we can keep going. By reason of the vision, pains have now come upon me. I'm, 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 I have physical pain. I have no strength. And how can I talk with you right now? How can I hear this vision? Because I don't even have strength in me. I don't even have breath in me. I want to hear your vision, but I, I'm in this massive poor condition. I can't even hear it. So what does the angel do? Again, want to have the appearance of man touch me. That's the third time in the text that this angel has, has touched him. Um, he touched him and that touching strengthened him. And he said, oh, man, of greatly love. Fear not and be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And so he's, he's given him strength to actually hear the vision. He strengthened him up so that now he can actually hear. And he tells him that he's loved again. Uh, this is, the, again, the third time he's been told this by angels, 923, 1011. And now here again in 1019, um, to fear not and peace be with him. Basically, he's telling him, uh, you don't need to fear anymore. You're in a safe place. You're actually, this peace be with you is like, safe place here, Daniel. Everything's good. And he tells him, after he, peace is with you, when he says, be strong and be of good courage, this is literally like, uh, be strong and be stout. I like that. I don't know why. I just think it's cool. Be strong and be stout. And then so Daniel says, the touch that you gave me, um, let my Lord speak now. You can give me the vision. Let my Lord speak the very end of 19, for you have strengthened me. So Daniel lets him know, I've actually been strengthened by, by your touch here. Uh, and just a He's, he's strengthened now to receive the word. If I just wanted to make a small mini application, keep yourself daily strengthened so you can receive the word. Like, keep yourself in good health and mindset and frame so that you can read the Bible and understand the Bible every day. That's just a little application. But then he tells him this in verse 20. Um, Do you know why I have come to you? This is a rhetorical question. He's already told him twice. Uh, in verse 12 and verse 14, why I've come. I, in verse 12, I've come... Uh, because of your words. I heard your prayers. I heard that you want to understand, and I've come to you. Number, verse 14, I've come to make you understand. I want to tell you, but now I'm going to return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So we know, again, as we've talked about the statues and we've talked about the beasts, after Persia goes, Greece comes, and that there's unseen demons going on in the, in the realms that are fighting, causing those kingdoms to oppress the people of God. And he's got to go fight for some 200 years against Greece and then for some, I'm sorry, 200 years against Persia for some 300 years against Greece, reminding us that Cyrus, uh, even though he was over Persia and Alexander the Great, even though he was over Greece, were the human kings over those human empires, but the demonic angels were the one influencing and bringing harm to God's people while all that was happening. Dale Davis says it this way, unseen evil powers influence and control the kingdoms and the governments of this world in order to inflict harm and havoc on the people of God. I think it's exactly right. Unseen evil power powers influence and control the kingdoms and the governments of this world in order to inflict harm and havoc on the people of God. So what do we do? What do we do? We remind ourselves of this. This is what we do, if that's the truth. We remind ourselves that no one defeats our God. 
No one defeats our God. If that's true, and it is, that can be something that can scare us. But what we do is remind ourselves, no one defeats our God. He crushes the enemy in his good time when it's time. We don't know when that is. We remind ourselves that God has sent angels to fight in the unseen realm and they're doing battle for us right now and we don't even realize it, which should cause an immense amount of gratitude. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it ain't happening. And you should be, and I should be far more grateful. We should take comfort in the great truth and we should persevere in all this, the things that we do see. That brings us to lesson four. The people of God learn that heaven's armies are fighting on their behalf and that God has determined for them a favorable outcome. That's the whole point of, of the, the big E on the I chart. All the kingdoms are going to be wiped away. Jesus is going to win. So since we know that's the case, and we know that God loves us, and we know that God's going to take care of us, and we know that he's, no one defeats our God, then we now have, we will gain courage and strength on our own struggle to persevere in the faith. Persevere in the faith. We will persevere because God will see to it. He who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. But still, we persevere. And so he tells them, I gotta go, but uh, you're ready for the vision. And after I give you the vision, I'm gonna go do all this. Uh, and I'm gonna go out. Behold, the Prince of Greece will come in. But I will tell you what's inscribed in the book of truth. I'm gonna tell you this book of truth means the plan of God for Israel and the whole world. I'm gonna tell you how this is all gonna go down. We're gonna see that next week in, verse, in chapter 11. Um, and it's, it's definitely a difficult one. A- Alistair Begg on chapter 11 said, I went to study it for 30 minutes and I would get a headache and I'd go to sleep. And I'd come back and I'd study it for thir- another 30 minutes and then I'd go to sleep. And I'd come back and study it for 30 minutes and I'd get a headache and got to go to sleep. So good luck, Pastor Chris. Um, chapter 11's his. <laughs> anyway, I know. Um, but he signed up for it, all right? So, you know, I didn't like give him the hardest one. Although I thought chapter nine was difficult. Anyway, so... Uh, he says, I'll tell you what's described in the book, but there's no one that contends by my side except for these, uh, Michael, your prince. Michael oversees you, Israel. I think 11.1 belongs in chapter 10. And so he says, that as for me in the first year of the Darius of Mede, I stood to confirm and strengthen him. I stood to confirm and strengthen him. Basically, two years before this, interpreting angel came um, and confirmed and strengthened Michael in the same way that Michael had come and confirmed and strengthened him. So that's only a guess, but two years before this is when Cyrus said that Israel could go home. And whenever he said it was time to go home and rebuild, Satan sent his demons to try to destroy this because he knew rebuilding means Messiah's coming. Messiah coming means renewal for the people of God. We don't want that. And so he tries to destroy that. Tries to not make it happen. So um, this means this. Daniel has now, as he wrote this down, prepared all the people of God for at least the next 500 years as they were struggling with perseverance in the midst of persecution and difficult times. Daniel has prepared them and they can trust that heaven's armies are literally fighting for them in the unseen realm. And so if he's doing that for Daniel and Israel for the next 500 years, wouldn't it be like him to be doing that for us as well today? I think it is. We are the exiles in Babylon right now, here citizens of heaven, but living as ambassadors for Christ here in this particular nation right now. And we can persevere in the face of difficulty because God has promised to fight for us on our behalf in the unseen realms where the schemes of the devil and his cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil are trying to fight against us in the present darkness in the heavenly places. We know that God has promised to do that for us. And so, because he keeps his promises and he promises he's going to take care of us, then therefore, we can persevere. Now, 
The biggest question of all is how does all of chapter 10 point us to Jesus? It's this. Because, as we've seen in chapter, uh, verses 5 and 6, that he's the faithful prophet, priest, and king, as we see. He's the priest that came to die for us, to be the sacrifice for sin. He's the prophet that tells us about his coming and commands us to repent and believe. And he's the king that rules and reigns over all kingdoms that will ever exist. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, tells us about how he has destroyed, every, destroyed everything in the heavenly realms. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the debt of the wrecked by canceling the record of the debt that stood against with us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross, and then it says this. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's not just talking about the physical. And so application, I'll finish it with this. This is it. John Piper on Daniel 10 says, Take the supernatural seriously and realize that we are in a warfare and that We cannot and should not be domesticated by reinterpreting everything the biblical worldview so that it fits nicely with secular naturalistic ways of thinking about the world. Be ready for the extraordinary as well as the ordinary ways that evil spirits work. Don't be presumptuous as though demons are weak and don't be anxious as though they were stronger than Jesus. So realize that it happens and therefore then I'm just going to run through these last four, four, four points. Seek God in fasting and prayer and mourning to be obedient. Keep an appropriate posture of the heart. Put on the armor of God and pray and be courageous and strong and persevere in the faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy you've given to us. Um, We thank you that you have, because of Jesus, uh, forgiven of all of our sin, that he is the great prophet, priest, and king, and all the glory goes to him. Help us, God, Live out what you want. Help us obey. Help us do the things you want. Help us be thankful. Help us pray. Help us put on the armor of God. Help us have the appropriate posture of the heart always before Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.